You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Tales with TR, episode 128B. Getting up there. Nasty Morasty about to come up. Who I'm really looking forward to talking to. Now, before I get there, I don't mind a bit of constructive criticism, okay? I got a lot of emails in the last couple days and DMs and whatever. I told you it's hard to keep track of it all, but I try to try to communicate as much as I can with the people that listen to this and really essentially by extension are paying the bills, right? Whether it's Shorzy, Chicklets, Montreal Canadiens, there's a reason you're listening to this. It's usually one of those three things. And at some point you are supporting me and supporting this and helping get in advertising and everything else. So I enjoy that. I prefer it on the road. I can't wait to go to South Dakota tomorrow and visit with the people in and around Rapid City for that exact reason. Now, Getting to the constructive criticism, people are like, you know what? I thought you said you were going to talk about music and albums. And you know what? I did have a plan for a while, and I did say that, and it was going over pretty well. Honestly, I forgot. I'm a scatterbrain. The last few, I'm talking about my plan, I believe, probably 20 or 30 episodes ago. I said, you know, maybe for each A, quote-unquote, A episode, which is usually on Tuesday or Wednesday, me, solo, and then, as you know, B is with a guest, usually, ideally. Uh, and I would talk about something relevant in the hockey world, and then I would go on to a specific movie or song that I chose to shed light on, whether it was a favorite or whether it was just historically important, whatever it might be. And uh, anyway, I kind of got away from that. I enjoyed it. It gave me something to talk about because usually, as you can tell, the last episode, I just rambled. And I get it. And usually if I have something to ramble about, fine. But a lot of times I don't. I got like three or four notes written and I just start and I realize, oh, Jesus, there's an hour. An hour has gone by. So anyway, I'm going to get back to that. For those of you that like that format, so in, in episodes A, so 129A, when we do that in a few days, I'm going to really try to pick 
you know, a choice album or song or something that was culturally an arts, maybe even a movie, something from the arts community that I think was culturally important because I think if you follow pop culture uh, chronologically, you can kind of tell, you could only watch, listen to movie. If you only listen to movies and, and, and watch movies, sorry, and listen to songs and art and whatever you might have, poetry or whatever, you just followed along, you could still get an idea of what was happening in the world, you know, because a lot of songs are written because of that in movies and poetry. Inspiration comes from somewhere, and when there's something major going on in the world, you'll often hear about it in lyrics or what have you. So there's important things that I think tell my daughter, I can make learning fun for you. You can learn history, and you don't have to open a history book. So that's the kind of angle I'm going to take on the A episodes going forward. Now, here we go. We're about to go with John Morasti. We only got about 40 minutes uh, for a few different reasons, but I wanted to get this done before I go to Rapid City. I'm gonna. A lot of you have sent in questions because I was going to have them on a while ago, so I'm just going to ask him a bunch of questions and have a quick chat with my buddy, otherwise known as one of the gyms on Shorzy. Good guys, those gyms. John Nasty Morasty coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest has played pro hockey all over the planet. And as a result of his overwhelming toughness, he's widely regarded as one of the best hockey fighters to ever lace up skates. And I finally got a chance to meet him in Sudbury during the filming of Shorzy, in which he plays one of the gyms who are truly great guys. All told, this warrior earned almost 3,000 penalty minutes in the sin bin. And many of his legendary bouts have gone viral. If nicknames... Mirror reality, Nasty fits this Saskatchewan native's on-ice persona to a T. He is a proud puncher, a toe-to-toe tyrant, a wandering warrior, a living legend, a dynamite dad. On any given night, this cat could fight. Connect the dots, he never picked his spots. He can turn on a dime and would fight any time. He likes to back-check and is a god in Quebec. Get your tires at Mr. Lube and check out this guest on YouTube. He loves to have fun, but will knock you out, son. Folks, I call him nice, but you call him nasty. And please welcome to the show, Mr. John Morasti. How the hell are you doing, Nasty Morasti? I'm, I'm doing good, my friend. That's quite the introduction. You're, you're very poetic. Well, you deserve it, first of all. And uh, I need to be inspired, which I am. First of all, before we get into anything, I tried to talk on the intro um, last episode I don't know much about it. You're going for band council. Is that what it is? Chief. You get fo- I'm out. You're go- yeah. you're, so you're running for chief and you chief, get voted yeah. into that like you would get voted in in Mount Pearl to city council. Is that how it works? Pretty much exact same thing. Yeah. I'm going to be the Indian Donald Trump. Wow. <laughs> and you are, tell people where you are. Like, where are you in the world right now? I know where you uh, are. Right, right now I'm in Flying Dust First Nation and Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, you know, northern, northern Saskatchewan. Just got home the other day from Arizona, visiting my mom and, and spending some time down there and uh, getting back on the campaign trail here to, to you know, hopefully be elected chief. Unbelievable. That's so many hats that you're going to wear. And a little bird, birdie told me it looks good that we're going to do season two of Shorzy. I don't really know. That's not official yet. But if it is, you're going to add another season to your belt. You got businesses you got places i think in saskatchewan and bakersfield am i wrong in arizona yeah your mom's in arizona you're all over the place how do you find time first of all i think it's the only way to live is live on edge you know and uh (laughs) i I, people sometimes say i work too much or i'm traveling too much or i'm always on the go but uh it's fun you know just last week or a couple weeks ago i was in New York City at mid, uh, you know, 10 o'clock at night and 8 o'clock the next morning, I was pulling into Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. So I, I've been making my miles. That's definitely for sure. 
your whole life. And I got to get to that because Russia fascinates me more than anything, more than anything that you've done. I just can't believe the stories you told me from there. <laughs> some are from this, some aren't, but we'll get to that in a minute. So what I've done, usually I go like chronological order, but when I, when you were going to come on the first time, and I believe it was technical error, I think in Sudbury, I had a bunch of people send some message, some notes in. So we got 40 minutes or so here today. So I'm going to mix in some questions of mine with some questions of theirs. My first one would be you're growing up. So you turn into a, you know, one of the toughest players to lace up skates. I don't think I'm exaggerating. Most people would agree with me. Was your hero a hockey player growing up? Who did you look up to? And was it Wayne Gretzky or was it right from the beginning, like a guy like Bob Probert? Who were your influences growing up and why? Oh, definitely. You no, know, growing up as a young kid, you always looked up to Wayne Gretzky. I think every Canadian kid did right. But uh, the older I got, I, I wasn't going to be really taking his kind of role as a player. So, uh, you know, I started looking at a lot of the First Nation tough guys, you know, guys like Gino Ojic, uh, Chris Simon. Mm. Uh, I was a big fan of Ty Domi, you know, some guy built kind of like I am that was tough yeah. as nails. And and uh, just kind of, you know, idolized all those guys, you know. But I, I think the most influential person on me was probably my dad. You know, he always pushed me and and, uh, you know, there was always a lot of doubters out there. I'm not the biggest guy in the world to do the job that I did. And, you know, people used to say I was too small or, you know, I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, you know, my dad was the one that was always behind me, pushing me and and, and let, let me prove those people wrong. So it was, it was kind of fun. Do you think this is from me, too? This is and I, I didn't plan on this. Do you think it has to do with. People ask ask me, you know, the the best fighters. I, I don't know, but there's something to say about your legs and your your balance. Like, and you're again, it didn't surprise me when I saw you skate. You got a good like, you know. Again, it's a yeah. real good comparison with Ty Domi. Now I know you got a big upper body, and I think a lot of people think it's all your arms and your. But there's a lot to it, isn't there? Do you find it? I mean, you fought all the toughest guys. Do you find balance uh, is a big part? Oh, uh, balance is key. You know, uh, I was always told by a really good trainer that you know when you build a house, you got to build it from the ground up. And, uh, you know, that speaks speaks words right there. You know, if you don't have a strong leg, strong balance, you're, you're not going to succeed. Um, you know, I but the, but the one thing I think is the most important in a hockey fight is a guy that can take a punch. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that can, can fight and are tough, but as soon as they get hit, they fold house, you know. And, that's, and uh, that's, something, that's something that I took pride on is, is, you know, when guys would hit me, I'd smile. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, I actually enjoyed getting hit. You know, a lot of guys say they enjoyed it, but I, I don't think there's many guys that really enjoyed it, but... I found when I would fight, it was kind of like when the you know the skilled hockey players say everything slows down for them. I remember being in a thirty second hockey fight or you know forty five second hockey fight, but it to me it felt like it was fifteen minutes long. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd actually stop in the fight at it's, you know it's almost like time would stop and and I'd think holy shit I just got hit really hard I better fucking get going here you know I got to fight you know and it was weird because really to the viewers it was a quick oh that's a pretty good fight you know but to me. You know, I, I was analyzing it, talking to myself, wow. and it was something different, to be honest. That's interesting. Well, there got to be a reason, right? Like the people that are the best at what they do, there has to be a reason. So, yeah, I I mean, I can't say I liked getting hit. I kind of identify with there's times I was into it. And once I got hit, I'm like, OK, fuck this, you know, and I but going in, I think I, I would stop short of saying I enjoyed getting hit. But you generally <laughs> did enjoy getting hit. OK, this one comes from Carl. Carl says, Carl's in Saskatchewan. I don't know where. Would you get nervous before a fight? Oh, 100%. You know, definitely. Um, I used to almost throw up before fights, you know, because here I, I was I was a smaller guy and I was fighting some of the biggest boys on the ice, you know, biggest, you know, guys like Steve McIntyre, 6'6", 260 Dude. pounds. And you know, some of the and, stuff you told me, and sort of cut you off, in Quebec, 
Like there's a th- to me, there's an element of nerves as well when you know you're just. It's like if I have a penalty shot. There's yeah. no physical, but like because you're showing me Quebec, you know you're going out there. You know it yeah. at least in the A, you kind of know it. You, you know you might. Yeah. A, they it, two, it, they were waiting for you. You go out. The place is packed. They're chanting your name. Yeah. I mean that must add to it. No. Oh, definitely. Quebec was a different, different, different story there. You know, there, those guys, you were going to a, ho- a, a hockey fight and then, yeah. you know, there was a, there was a hockey game that happened, truly, you know, you know, that, you know, that same, but that wasn't a lie. I mean, you know, a week before the game for a, a guy against like Steve Bossa, you know, there was posters all over the cities and, you know, you were going to watch Steve Bossa and John Marasti fight and then yeah. there was going to possibly be a good hockey game. And so, yeah, it, it, it played its role and it, it actually played its toll on me. You know, it was, you know, very nerve wracking, very, uh, you're nervous, you know, because, you know, especially when you get to the top and you're considered one of the toughest guys in the league, you know, everyone wants to see you lose, you know, you're supposed to win, you know, you're supposed yeah. to win. So you, you, yeah, I, I always love being that young guy that didn't care if I lost because, you know, as a 20 year old kid coming up into the minors and, and wanting to fight all the big name guys, you know, I didn't care because I expected to lose, but I ended up not losing that much. You well, know, you, many you, fights. Yeah, you're going in as but an under. I, I enjoyed. It, it's nice to be underdog. that underdog. Again, wasn't yeah. wasn't in your category, but but as an underdog, I felt much, there's no pressure whatsoever, and all I got to do is kind of fight this guy to a draw, and my 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 team is going to get boosted. Now you yeah. ended up being, of course, that very guy, and I can't imagine how many taps. I was never the toughest, so like. I didn't really have a lot of guys wanting to try me out, like Probert or Domi Wood or yourself or Frankie yeah. Bialois or whoever. So I've never really seen the world from those eyes, and it must be. It must just get tiring uh, mentally and physically. Uh, I, used to, I used to laugh, you know, the old pregame naps. I know I, I never napped. And it's funny because a lot of times my wife would sleep with me during my naps or even the night before, and I'd almost have nightmares and I was fighting. And, I, you know, in my sleep, I'd, I'd throw my arm and, and put, oh, hit her yeah. in the face. I and totally she'd see wake, that. She'd yeah. wake up and say, what are you doing? And I'm, you know. But I was kind of in my mind, you know, fighting the I'd I'd fight the guy ten times before I actually even fought him because in my mind I was fighting him and uh, you know, but it was weird. It was it, the, the stress was all before the fight, you know. The actual fight itself was was awesome, and that's why I I, I definitely could say that you know hockey fighting is one of the toughest jobs on the planet because you know for three or four days before that fight, you know, you, you know you're going to be playing, you know, say Steve McIntyre was a guy that I thought was really tough. And you know, you're, you're the three days before. You know, you play them on Friday, but you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're all you're doing is thinking about it. And you're stressed out, and and then you know, you actually go to the fight, and the fight's a piece of cake. It's like, oh fuck, that was awesome. You know, it was a rush, and uh, it's it's more leading up to the fight that's stressful. And uh, but I ain't gonna lie, I miss it. I wish I could do it still. Um, it was it was. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love that rush. You know, throwing your gloves down in front of ten thousand fans and. And uh, that's the way I live life to this day. You know, I, I'm the guy that, you know, I, you know, this summer I was driving the quads with my uncle Will and uh, there was a bear that ran right by us and I jumped off and ran at it. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? We should be running. You know, I, I was wanting to chase the bear and, and, and see what he did. And obviously the bear ran away, but you know, I, I just live for that. You know, when I shoot moose and you, you know, you kill a big bull moose and you got to go track its blood and it's in the bush and you're, you're kind of in a dangerous spot, but it's just something I live for. And, I think I'll be like that till I, the day I die. That's interesting. And well, first of all, that doesn't surprise me one bit. I never thought about it, though. Killing a moose track in blood, there's going to be other animals that are... Yeah, I never, ever thought about it like that. Not that my buddies don't. Now I'm going out finally. My buddy Chris Sparks, shout out to Mr. Lube. Promise me he's going to take me this winter. But all kinds of people do, right? Same kind of people yeah. here. Uh, hunters, fishermen, you, you would kind of enjoy it, actually. Sometime we'll get you over here. 
NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, and point totals. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NFL. So, what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code THPN, and place a $5 pre-game Moneyline bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Again, that's promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Sylvain from Montreal wants to know, what were the best and worst things about playing in Russia? That's a long one. Let's just go uh, with the best first. And we'll re- revisit. The best thing, the best things are, believe it or not, were the people. I mean, you hear a lot of bad stories all the time about guys that played there, but I was I was treated like gold. You know, they were really fascinated about my background, my tr- cultural background, my traditional background, like being First Nations. Um you know, the worst thing was being so far away from home. Yeah, I could see. Uh, that. You know, I at that time I already had a, I had two kids. You know, I had my son Tristan who was living in Saskatchewan, and my uh, daughter Ava was just being born in New York. So that was the hardest thing was being so far away from home. But the best thing was the people, the experience. I mean, the money obviously was good. Um, it was it was an over, overall great experience, and I really enjoyed it there. Um. So this thing that happened. Um... At the wedding. So you were playing. I mean, we don't have to get deep into it, but the question came up. I didn't realize. I remember watching the video. I didn't realize it was actually out there. So that's why I'll only ask you in public. It sounds like kind of a private thing, but you guys were at a wedding, right? There was a bit of a dust up. No, stop right there. There was no wedding. (laughs) It wasn't a wedding. It was a there was a wedding party at a club. Oh, that's what's going down. It it was like our first two weeks in Russia. So, I mean, you know, Russia, you've probably been heard of it. You know, it's, it's like being in the army. All you do is you eat, sleep, and skate and work yeah. out. And we went on our first road trip to it. It was a preseason tournament they had, and it was in Magnitogorsk. And uh, you know, after the game, it was a, it was actually a Sunday night, and we had played. Huh. And I had gone to a really good fight that day. I think it was against uh, Artukin or um, or I don't know it was Alexander Spitov, one of the bigger guys playing the NHL for a bit. Yeah. And it was I had a really good fight. You know, obviously beat him and. And uh, so Sunday night after the game, you know, Nazarov was our, our coach, Andre yeah, Nazarov. And he, he, yeah, he knew, you know, he, he spoke really good English. So, you know, he said, you guys, you, you American, Canadian guys, you guys go out and have a good time. And we fly out tomorrow morning. So long story short is we all went out for dinner and went bowling. And, you know, in Russia, the vodka is un- unbelievable. So, yeah. you know, we were all drinking vodka. And, you know, from the restaurant, we went bowling. And then from the bowling alley, we thought, oh, let's, let's check out the nightlife in this city. And we ended up going to some club, but it didn't open till midnight. So we were outside, you know, people waiting to get into this club. And uh, right away, you know, Yablonski and I kind of stood out because of our, you know, Mohawks. And we were both bigger boys. And I oh, think yeah. I probably had a probably had my permanent you black. Guys, you guys stood out. You yeah, guys you walking know? around together, chumming so, in a bar. I can imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. So it actually was, was it was it was actually friendly. Like people were coming and taking pictures and getting autographs and, you know, 
But what happened was a couple of girls had come that were were in the wedding party and taking pictures with us. And I don't think the men liked that. Yeah. So uh, anyways, push turned to shove and I kind of got out of there because, you know, growing up on the res and stuff, you know, when there's a big fight going to break out, I always wanted to be at the back. So everything was in front of me mm-hmm. and uh, smart. kind of stayed out of it. And, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, Kip, Brennan, and them were getting kind of pushed around. So uh as soon as jeremy stepped in three guys jumped on jeremy and, and right when i seen jeremy go who's a close friend of mine i jumped in and long story short is we ended up knocking out about five guys between jeremy and i and i remember stopping and looking back and, and seeing all these guys all on the ground like it looked like a war zone and the cops were coming and so by that time all the boys took off running and of course me i'm not the fastest guys you could tell when i skate uh i was the last guy so i stopped and you know so the cops coming and ended up arresting me and you know, luckily, our Tim Panarin uh, stepped up for me at that time. He was just a young kid and barely spoke yeah. English. And he come back and he said, uh, you know, that's Marasti, uh, tough guy. He was, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to explain to these cops in, in English that who I was. And so then he looked at me and he just said, money, money, you know, because he didn't speak very good English at that time. And I said, yeah. oh, yeah, I got I got money in my pocket. So I took out about 400 American. He's like, give, give. So I, I gave the, those cops that money and, and they let me go. And, uh, you know. Within about a week, it was all over the sports net news and in Russia and KHL TV. And yeah, it turned into a pretty big thing. But uh, like I said, we didn't start it. We just finished it. So, Incredible. but it wasn't a wedding. We weren't at a wedding. We weren't crashing a wedding. We were at a club trying to go into a club and people were just taking pictures and autographs. And and like I said, uh, when the girls came to take pictures, the men didn't like that. And, and then I think that's when they kind of. It was a men started. getting upset thing. It was a men yeah, getting upset yeah, thing. So. I see. Now it makes total sense. Didn't didn't end too well for them though. The uh, the fans there then they I mean a lot of people are surprised to hear that the fans liked or I guess they still do. There's just not as many of them fights. No, it was weird because you know we were I mean that year I was with Vitez and Chekhov. You know we were almost a team that was hated because we were all goons and fighting, but it was like a love hate relationship because the league didn't like us, but yet everywhere we traveled the games were sold out and at the end of the games, it was us that were given all the autographs and there was yeah. people taking, you know, so I think in a way we were, they didn't want to admit it, but we were actually really good for the league because wherever we traveled, I mean, we were sold out and uh, we were a big draw. So it was a great time. Interesting. Cause I never thought about it until it kind of got, you know, you guys, you, you, a bunch, you mentioned Kip Brennan. I forgot he played there, but I never really followed it till then. Like yeah. maybe a dozen years ago, I, I didn't really know what was happening in the KHL. I knew there was fights in England, but I didn't realize. And not only that, that's great hockey, man. So you're yeah. over there. I mean, that's really, that's the, a lot of people would say the second best league in the world. Definitely when you played in it. Was it fast, nasty? Like, Yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, you had some of the NHL teams coming there and playing, you know, an exhibition season. Yeah. And they were getting beat, you know. So um, I think the difference between the NHL and the KHL was the the span between the best teams and the worst teams. I mean, you take a team like St. Petersburg, Scott, who had a payroll higher than an NHL team, they they would compete in the NHL, you know. Yeah. But then you take one of the lowest league teams, you know, the lowest teams that in the league, and, I mean, they would be like a good AHL team. So it was just a big variety. You know, in the NHL, any day, the, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, who I consider terrible – would beat, you know, one of the better teams in the league, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, where there, there was a bigger gap between the top teams and the bottom teams. So you, your top teams were just like the NHL teams and then your bottom teams were like good AHL teams, so. I can totally, totally see that. So 
Uh, first year pro, you have 358 penalty minutes. Jesus. So that's being first year. So you're coming in, but I mean, not that you didn't in junior. I noticed, I didn't realize that you, before you played in the dub till today, I looked it up. You played in the Saskatchewan league and had 300 odd minutes. Let's go there yeah. first, I guess. So that's your first year out of minor hockey. You get 300 plus minutes in the Saskatchewan league, which is not for guys who like the piano. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was my, my, my trip to junior hockey. And even though the pro ranks was not the way a typical hockey guy makes it, you know, I was never drafted. I never, you know, went the way I made it to the SJHL was I was actually 15 years old playing senior hockey in, uh, come on in metal. In, in, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me one bit. You were playing senior at 15. That's yeah, how believe, nasty Morasti got his start. Fucking believe, unbelievable. Believe it or not, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15, I was one of the best players in the, in the, in the province. Oh, you know, I believe sc- it, totally. Score, scoring goals and stuff. And and then when I started fighting in about when I was about 14, 15, uh, you know, I was pretty tough. And uh, so the senior team in Metal Lake, we have, you know, seniors really big in my hometown. You know, they it's it's almost like a semi-pro game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they would always be short guys. So after we'd, we'd play from like 5 to 7, and then at 7.30, the senior team would have a game. And uh, they'd always, after I played my my midget midget or bantam game, they'd come in and say, "Hey, you're gonna come play with us now." So uh, I remember we were playing the Kindersley Clippers, the senior team, the senior Clippers. Yeah, generally and, have uh, a good team. Yeah, I remember watching yeah. them when I lived in Bentley. And anyways, I uh, so I was playing, and by this time I was already starting to fight. But I obviously had to wear a full cage, right, just because I was still registered in minor hockey. Yeah. And I remember a bigger guy with 28 years old. You know, he looked at me and he said. Uh, you want to go, kid? And I, I, I looked. I said, "Yeah, I'll go you." And he says, "He says, well, take that, take that fishbowl off your face." Mm-hmm. And uh, so I remember I, at center ice, I took my whole helmet off. Said, "Okay, let's go." And long story short, is I beat this old guy up that was probably what 28, 29 years old, oh. and like I was fifteen. <laughs> so after the game, you know, all the guys were drinking beers. I don't even think they would let me drink at that time because I was too young. And I remember the, our goalie, he come and said, hey, John, there's a guy outside that wants to see you from the other team. And I'm like, oh, shit. I said, this guy that I just beat up is going to try to fight me now, you know, in the street. And yeah. it ended up being one of the scouts for the Kinder State Junior Clippers. He says, hey, man, he said, I've never seen a kid do that. He says, do you want to come to the junior Kinder State Junior Camp in, in the in the spring? And I said, yeah, sure. And uh, sure enough, I went to the junior camp in Kinder State and and, wow. uh, and then from there was was the rest was history. I Fought my way under that team, and then the following year, I played with the PA Raiders and Tri City Americans, and then uh, actually had my boy Tristan when I was 19 playing in the WHL, and I actually quit hockey, and that was going to be my career. And then uh, you know yeah, I was right. actually re- I was enrolled into university when I was 20 years old. I didn't play my 20 year old year. I was going to be going to university, and I was a bouncer at the bar in Saskatoon, and you know I trained like I was a hockey player going to go play, but I was. Yeah reality didn't kick into all my buddies were all even to their junior camps and their pro camps. And, you know, I was still stuck in Saskatoon going to university and I, the itch was still there. Right. And it was my dad that said, you know what? Cause my whole reason of staying home and quitting hockey was because my son, right. I didn't want to be a deadbeat dad that just left yeah. his kid. And, and my dad said, you know, I'll always be here for Tristan to help him. And you need to set, set an example for him. So he said, go out and chase your dreams. So I ended up making a deal with the Bakersfield Connors where they covered all my late, my penalties for leaving university. And, and uh, then I had I headed to uh, Bakersfield, California, for my first year pro, and I was already late. They were already played four or five games into the season. I was coming late, and uh, I ain't gonna lie. When I first went there, I thought, "Shit, I'm gonna get my ass kicked." You know, I'm only a 20 year old kid, and and uh, believe it or not, I ended up not. I don't even think I really lost a fight that year. You know, I went in and had yeah. probably 30 some fights, and 
I fought some big, you know, some big name guys, Josh Gratton, Steve McIntyre, uh, you know, old Kenny Tasker. Ken uh, Tasker. Yeah. I, that's when you came on my radar. I, yeah. I, I, I remember hearing about you that year and then yeah, and, followed your progression. And, and then that's kind of where it took off. And, and I ended up uh, having a really good year in 2003, 2004 to Condors. And I even caught the eye of some NHL teams and was offered to go to the Chicago Blackhawks camp. But uh, unfortunately, that's when the 0405 lockout season lockout. happened. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then that's where my opportunity to go to uh, Quebec and then ended up in Danbury, the old trasher hockey team, the mafia team. So yeah. uh, I've had quite a wild journey through my career and, you know, and then even went to the senior league and was going to quit hockey and, and go home and coach junior hockey. And next thing you know, a year later, I was in an NHL preseason game. And so, yeah, I've had a, a quite quite a wild ride. Yeah. And then, I mean, to get back up, I mean, the American Hockey League, I say to people, is one of the hardest leagues to make. People don't understand because if you're overseas, for the most part, you can just sign people and you just join. But there's and there's import rules, but there's so many teams. But in the A, they have so many. First of all, a lot of guys that are drafted, you're going to that that you have signed, you're going to put there whether they deserve it or not, because you've signed them to a contract. So there's literally no room often if you're good enough. Then outside of that, um, you've got rules, you've got veteran rules and everything else. So they, what they want to kind of stick handle around that. You've got only so many room for, for so much room for someone in their first two or three years. So to make it is really tough because you're kind of in a few bubbles trying to like, you know, your, your hands are kind of tied. So you went in after playing senior in Quebec, which is beyond you know the odds are against you, but I've never heard of it. First of all, the odd the odd person comes out of Canadian University. Jody Shelley, PJ Stock. That's weird enough. But for you, I mean, you know, you're a tough guy. But you ended up going right into the American League, playing regular, fighting all these guys. Like that experience for you. Like when you were in the the, the playing in the I say the Q, but it's it's the Quebec Senior League. When you were playing there, did you aspire? Did you did you realize that the AHL was an option? I mean, you had to think it was possible being offered to go to Chicago camp before the lockout. But where were you? Where was your head in Quebec? Were you like, I'm going to play here for five years, make a shitload of dough, and leave, or were you still thinking pro? No, the year that I was going to go back to the the year that I went back to the American League that year, I was actually quit hockey and took a coaching job at junior league in Alberta. No, shit. offered me offered me like seventy five thousand a year to coach, and I only had to be at practice twice a week and live in my hometown. And I was actually I took the job, and my hockey career was over. I was just going to you know at twenty five, twenty six years old, and I was going to uh, like I said, coach and start working on my life after hockey and. I, I even ran the preseason. I was three and zero my junior team, and I was the toughest. I made sure I had a tough team. But uh, you know, about a week into it, I got a phone call from uh, Howard Dolgan. He's the owner of the Syracuse Crunch, and he just said, "You know, we really want to bring you to to Syracuse to the American Hockey League to try out for us. You were recommended by us, uh, Brandon Sugden." And uh, you know, and next thing you know, I talked to my dad. He said, "Well, here's another opportunity that you can't can't turn down." He said, "Go." And, you know, next thing you know, I signed a PTO for 25 games in, in the American League. And I still remember it was about just before Christmas. They said, okay, well, we're giving you an AHL contract. And that was probably the best year I had. That was the year we broke the AHL record for the most consecutive wins. And I think we had the most penalty minutes. And it yeah. was uh, it was quite a ride, you know. Uh, Zenin Konopka was our co- our captain. And, yeah. you know, we had we had Tom Sestito, uh, Derek, uh, Derek Broussard. We had Derek Dorsett. I mean, we had a really tough, skilled hockey team. And I remember the stories there was, uh, you know, obviously the NHL brass. You had guys like Broussard, who was a first rounder. 
And uh, I remember we were losing about Christmas time. We were not doing very good. And we had a big team meeting. He said, guys, we need to turn this around. And so we said, okay, if we win five hockey games, everybody gets to, you know, five games in a row, everybody gets to wear no helmets and warmups, you know, because usually only the veteran guys. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. There's a hierarchy there. Yeah. So so we said, you know, if we win five in a row, we're going to allow every single guy in this dressing room to, to take their helmets off for warmups. And so sure enough, we won five in a row and we were all out there with our hairdos and, and then after that, we said, okay, well, if we win 10 games in a row, we're all going to go to warm-ups with no shoulder pads and no helmets, right? So I remember it was the it was the, the 10th game and, and the Columbus, because Columbus was our NHL affiliate, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember the Columbus brass caught wind of that. And then I remember we had won 10 games in a row and we were playing in Cleveland against the Lake Erie Monsters. And before the game, because me and Z were kind of like the, uh, I was a rookie that year, but I was kind of a leader because I was 27 totally. already. And, yeah, yeah. You know, tough guy. and. So Z and I actually got called into an office and it was the brass from Columbus Blue Jackets that drove driven down from Columbus because it's only a couple hours. And they told us, they said, if you guys go out there with no shoulder pads and no helmets, I said, you guys are both done. He goes, we have, we have guys like Derek Broussard who are, you know, he's, uh, he's 170 pounds soaking wet. If he gets hurt, you guys are done. So I remember we walked into that room and I was so scared. Cause I mean, that's the first time an NHL guys ever really ca- talked to me about it. Right. Yeah. 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 So I looked at Kanopka and I'm like, well, what are we going to do? Ah, fuck it. We're going out there with no shoulder pads and no helmets. Who cares? <laughs> of course. So we go out for warm-ups, no helmets, no shoulder pads, everyone, no shoulder pads. And yeah, I remember looking up to the press box and you could see the fucking, you know, GMs and them just team unity out. though, man. It was, it was, it was Scotty Hausen. Scotty Hausen. Was was it? The GM at the, I remember Scotty. Yeah, time. of course. And, and, and I remember they were kicking garbage cans and, you know, long story short, we ended up winning about 25 games or 27 games in a row. But uh, that was the most commodity, you know, we've ever had. The team was so close. Our practices were like 15, 20 minutes long because we were winning. Right? Yeah, I, I, no, look, it, I, it totally doesn't surprise me. Stuff like that, you know, yeah. that's 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 really the biggest thing that yeah. I I enjoyed about playing the game, really. And, and then I, I think the biggest mistake of my, my, my career came right after that summer when Kanopka ended up going to Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, because we had won all those games. We, we lost in the Northern Finals or whatever it was. But uh, that summer, I was in Ta- in California at our cabin in Lake Tahoe. And uh, my grandma had said, hey, someone's on the phone for you at the house phone. And I went and answered it. And it was it was Kanopka. And he's like, hey, he said, I got a hold of you. He says, uh, we're going to sign in Tampa Bay. It's going to be a two-way deal. And I remember thinking, but Syracuse already wanted me to come back, right? And I'm thinking, and Syracuse offered me a lot of a, on a one-way AHL deal. He's, you yeah, know, it was like, yeah. I think, 150 grand a year or whatever. And I remember thinking, Tampa wants to sign me to a two-way deal, you know, but I was, but I was so negative. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to end up in Norfolk and I'm going to be making $70,000 yeah, a year. That's a, that's a big decision though. I'd, I'd rather go to Syracuse and be making 150, right? I said, they're not going to keep me up in the NHL, but Z was like, no, no, they're going to, they're going to oh. keep us up in the NHL on the fourth line. And we, they want us to do what we did in Syracuse. They want us to do in, in Tampa Bay. They want us to goon it up and, you know, sell seats and, so anyways, long story short is I didn't sign in Tampa Bay with the Lightning. I ended up going back to a AHL deal at Syracuse. And, you know, that's the year that uh, Zenon actually, you know, yeah. became a full t- full-time NHLer. You know, he spent the majority of that season in Tampa. And so who knows? I think I, if I would have signed there, that could have been my opportunity. Oh, God, there's no the doubt, Maraz. There's no doubt that you're fucking tough enough, man. It was just, a, yeah. you know, you also got to. You got to hit that stride. You got to get a break. And that was probably it. You didn't know. But who wouldn't make that? I mean, honestly, that's a toss-up. You're you're getting into your late 20s, too. It's not like you're 20. And yeah. all of a sudden, you're offered 
more than double the money. I, I don't know, man. I can't say I wouldn't take that same decision. Not only that, you played a few more years, then you go overseas, playing the you know the NHL of Europe, having yeah. all these experiences you just told me about, made lots of money over yeah. there. It's a different story. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope you don't regret it because you're still... <laughs> oh, I... I don't regret a thing I did, you know. I, if anything, I think I would have went even harder and fought harder and hey, been more crazy. Yeah, and people, you know, people remember John Morasti as well. Yeah. I mean, you're still going, but you know, as one of the yeah. toughest players ever, regardless. To this, um, to this, to this day, like I said, I don't regret what I did, and and uh, to this day, I'm still. That's kind of shaped me who I am today, right? And you know, look at me now. I'm going to try to become a leader of my first nation and be a chief, and yeah. and that's all from that's all from my hockey career and, and being you know always being a leader and, and trying to be a role model and 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 that's where I'm going with it right now. Everything and actor. I mean, we haven't. It's funny. Here we are on this major show. And we didn't even talk about it. I didn't. Yeah. It just. I was thinking to myself. Oh, I don't even have anything written down. I don't want to yeah. say we take it for granted. It's a great show, but you know. I, I think of you as a hockey player and myself. Yeah. I don't really think of us as actors, but but I guess we are. So I got some <laughs> questions here. Did you ever do it before? People asking about, and I, I said, I don't think Nasty was in that community. Maybe you must have done some commercials as Nasty Morasty, but were you oh, acting? I've def I definitely, no, I never got into acting. I know I definitely did a lot of commercials for in Syracuse, you know, yeah. with Time Warner and a bunch of stuff, but I never, never had the opportunity that I got in Danbury, I mean, sorry, in, in Sudbury. Um, but obviously, it was uh, a great opportunity, and I jumped on it when it came. That was good, and you, uh, yeah, we really clicked. It was good. He, he surrounded us with, well, I mean, for the most part, we're hockey players. Even the background, people don't realize. I'm like those people skating around in the background. They all played junior or something. Some of yeah. them played, you know, semi-pro somewhere. So, it, you know, and we would chat in between the scenes. Um, there was a there was a feeling of camaraderie. Uh, and I would talk about that, but we only got five minutes left. And I need to ask you, because some people wanted to know. So the first question that a lot of people wanted to know was playing in Danbury. And they wanted to know, hey, Terry, did he meet Jimmy and AJ Galante? And what was his favorite part about playing in Danbury? And that's from about 15 different people. So in some oh, form I, or another. I, I talked to Jimmy just about six months ago, you know, but I, when I played there, yeah, Jimmy treated me like gold. He was an awesome guy, first class leader. Um obviously he got himself in a little bit of trouble but you know he's, he's human and we all we all get in trouble um aj you know i'm still involved with him with the uh international ice wars the hockey fighting yeah, stuff yeah. that they have uh yeah but danbury was awesome i don't know if you're they've watched the show but the show doesn't do it justice okay um, so the show by the way for those that don't know it's it's untold i believe i watched it five times on netflix crimes i know everybody oh, there it is okay what's yeah. crap crap Crash. Crimes, crimes and penalties. Crimes and penalties. Check it out. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. If, if you guys haven't seen it, do yourselves a favor. Whether you've seen it one game of hockey ever, even if you don't know the rules, it's a story of a community, a man with an idea, a bunch of players who got on board. And it sounds, it sounds, and it is, there's a, there's a level of criminality to it, but it's a very touching story. That's what I got out of it. What did, how were the fans in Danbury, buddy? Oh, they were awesome. It was, it was, it was a great experience, but to be honest, you know, I've, I've kind of have a, uh, a career of playing on a few organized teams, you know, organized crime. Yeah. So uh, I was in Russia, obviously the first year our, our, our owner was supposedly a mafia, Russian mafia. Yeah. And, uh, and then playing up in the Quebec league, it was, <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of the hell's angels were, were involved in that league. So to be honest, Danbury was a little bit tamer than some of the other places I played. So I say I that to people. Could... I've said it. I've said it. You told me. I said, you guys don't believe it. You won't yeah. fucking believe me. But I go, Danbury was honestly, and I'm not putting anybody down here, but I'm going like 
it wasn't as eye-opening. It was kind of a step that, like, for Morasti, he'd been around that before. Everybody else yeah. probably would have been, holy shit, man. Yeah. Our, 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 our team is involved in organized crime. For you, it was old hat. Yeah. Uh, so you weren't intimidated by that. You went down. You had a great time. The fans accepted you. And yeah. I guess you, so you do still have a relationship with both those guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I said, Jimmy had called me, I think it was six months ago, seven months ago. I talked to Jimmy for a bit. It was kind of funny because I haven't heard him from him for a while, but my time in Danbury, he, he treated me really good. And, you know, we had a good relationship and, and same thing with AJ back then. AJ was just a kid. He was 17 or 18, but uh, you know, now he's a, he's a grown man and he's a dad and he's doing quite well for himself. So we still communicate here and there. And, and, and uh, like I said, just keep going, moving forward. So nasty. That's it. We're out of time. I'm going to have to do a volume one and two. A lot of people wanted to know about fighting your buddy, Jeremy Yablonski. They wanted to know what it was like to play on specific teams. And I didn't really dive into Quebec like I wanted to. We have a lot of listeners from there, but I'd like to do it again sometime. We've just run out. Is there anything that you want to promote? Do you have anything to plug other than, I guess, when is the vote? And, um, you know, uh, uh, what else do you have coming up? November 24th is the vote for, uh, for, for my election. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've been out campaigning and actually, as soon as I get off this, this, uh, podcast, I'm going to be heading out and, and talking to the community members. And, you know, I, I've been a leader the last five, seven years there already, you know, working with the youth, working with the elders and, and just trying to lead by example. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, it's my time to step up and, and elevate the community to a different, a new level. Okay, Nasty Morasti, thanks a lot for joining today. Really appreciate it. Good luck. I know you'd be a great leader. You already are, but let's say, you know, technically the chief, I think, suits you just fine. I hope to see you soon. Like I said, it looks good after Christmas. We're not quite sure, but fingers crossed for another season of Shorzy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Tales with TR, episode 128B here with Nasty Morasti. Thanks again. Folks, if you're in St. John's, check out Mr. Lube with two locations in St. John's, Torbay Road and Kenmount Road. Live, laugh, and lube. You can order tires now online. So ordering is available. It wasn't, and uh, I'm about to do that right after I get off the air today. Ryan Power Power Conditioning for the body and mind. Check it out. If you're downtown and you want a beer, head out to TJ's, the Bull and Barrel, Turkey Joe's, Trinity Pub, or the Rob Roy, if you're going to get your food, I like going to Merchant Tavern, Blue on Water, and of course, Wedgwood Cafe. True hockey, take what's yours. Folks, thanks again for tuning in to Tales with TR, episode 128B. I'll be back in just a few days. Thanks again to my guest, Nasty Morasti, and I'll catch you all again on The Rebound. <laughs>